Topography can do what? It's symbolic. Hi everybody. Welcome to my channel. I'm Autumn Bardot and today I'm going to show you how to amplify themes for shadowing, plot, description, conflict, character, and emotion using symbolic topography. So hope you're ready. So the first thing I'd actually like to discuss is mountains. Okay, mountains. There's a reason there's always that the guru sits at the top of the mountain. It's because he's closer to God. He's closer to the divine. It's He's closer to it. So it suggests when a guru, you know, the Swami sits there, and you ask him for words of wisdom, it's because he's closer there. But there's, there's nothing like a bit of topography, like the one I just described to you, that you know, can help you understand morality, emotion, intellect, and spirituality. So let's go dive right into mountains, all right? Mountains and higher elevations indicate moral righteousness, spiritual awareness. So it's not just, you know, God. It can just be any divine power or spirituality. It's kind of the whole closer to the divine thing. Steep ground suggest trials and tribulations to surmount. We have the song, Ain't No Mountain High Enough, Ain't No River Wide Enough. The mountain really isn't about the mountain. It's about barriers, conflicts, things that you have to overcome, um, the steepness. I mean, you, it's a hard work. That's pretty much what that means. So, there's also that song, Climb Every Mountain, from The Sound of Music. Once again, not really about the mountain. It's about something that you have to ascend to, climb up, struggle to go uphill. And this is great if your character needs to go uphill and they're struggling and you want to kind of, sh you don't want to say that they're struggling, but you perhaps are writing about the, the steep incline, okay, that they're going up. Uh, think about Sisyphus, um, Sisyphus climbing the hill every day, rolling his, rolling his rock up there just to have it go back down the next day. That story tells you that every day is a struggle. Every day is an uphill battle for us. Um, old time literature, um, Pilgrim's Progress, Puritan literature, they're going uphill to the city of Zion. So that hill is tough. It's a struggle. It's a climb. So a lot of ways, mountains, hills, the steep incline can actually sh reveal character in ways that you, you would, don't have to put into the character's head. You're showing with how difficult it is to get up that hill. Next thing I'd like to discuss is flatlands and swamps. Flatlands can reveal the flatness or the dullness of a character's life. So you have like the flatlands, okay? That would be dull, there's nothing there, there's no mountains for them, there's there's nothing, it's just kind of dull. Swamps, on the other hand, imply, and could think of a swamp in your mind, right? Imply low morals, often associated with poverty, a lack of faith, a lack of, lack of self-esteem, a dirty or degraded sense of self. It's kind of a, a swamp is a connection to the primordial ooze of the earth, so to speak. Examples would be, there was a, um, a show 
called Bloodline on Netflix. And spoiler alert coming. He kills his brother. He kills him on the beach, but then he drags him into the, the Everglades, the swamp. And he just kind of disappears. Also think of, so he's really, he's, he's killed his brother. There's nothing really lower at that point, right? There's also Star Wars. Now, am I saying that Yoda is morally deprived or spiritually deprived? No, but the Force itself is no longer valued. And so that's where he finds him. That's where Luke finds Yoda's in that that swamp because that's pretty much where the force and the power and the belief of that power uh, now resides with the universe. Seas, rivers, lakes, these are other kinds of topography that you can use to reveal character or plot, to show their emotions, to foreshadow. Oceans provide a very wide vista. You look out, the horizon is super far away. You can't see your future, but you know your future is out there. It's also adventure. It like the, There's like lots of possibilities. You can't distinguish sometimes between the horizon. You can't distinguish between, you know, the vanishing point between where the sea ends and the, and the, and the sky starts. Rivers. They can be narrow, they can be wide, they can be dirty, they can be clean. If you have a river, what are you gonna be doing with that river? If you think of somebody like Langston Hughes, the poet, he has a very famous poem called The Bitter River. He describes the bitter river being a river, and he describes it with blood and clay, but it's a, it's a river of racism and prejudice. So if you have a river, what kind of river is it? Is it narrow? Is it fast? Is it slow? Is it sluggish? Is it dirty? And it, remember, a river could just be a plot device as well. In Fahrenheit 451, Montag jumps into the river, kinds of uh, almost a kind of an intellectual awakening, spiritual awakening. He floats down the fast-moving river to get away from society, and the river actually takes him to professors who have memorized parts of books and that's how they're going to preserve the civilization. So there's a lot you can do with the river. It can be a plot device. All of these things can just be plot devices. Absolutely. I'm not saying that it has to be symbolic, but a lot of times you can use it, these, this geography, this topography, symbolically. Streams, smaller rivers, okay? Think of row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. Merrily, merrily. You know, everybody knows that poem, right? It's a stream. Streams aren't scary. The poem's really about just kind of going with the flow and life is a stream. Now, for some of us, we're thinking, um, hello, my life is not a stream. If you said that, if you thought that, then that's exactly, then you're thinking symbolically. Maybe your life right now is a raging river. Maybe it's a dried up river. Who knows? But now you can kind of understand how you can use that river or stream symbolically. Streams tend not to be super dangerous, although they can. Okay, they can. Lakes, once again, large, small, polluted, fresh, idyllic, you know, beautiful swans floating on them, perhaps covered in trash, you know, maybe there's spillage from, you know, a nearby chemical plant and then they become what super ninja turtles or something like that right so if they're going to have some kind of pond or lake once again size would be important 
can just be a plot device or you can discuss a little bit more. Um, a lot of times authors will use ponds or, or small lakes to actually reveal a lot about an emotion, the pond or lake mirroring their own emotions or their access to what's beyond the lake or the pond or if they jump into the pond and if the pond is dirty or if it's fresh. The next thing I would like to say, the next one is forests. I love forests. Okay, so forests are used so frequently in movies and books and, and stories and fables. You go into the forest, it's dark, it's scary, it has the big bad wolf, it has witches that will want to eat you right when they take you to the gingerbread house. Forests are dark and fraught with danger and an unknown. So you go into the forest and you really don't know what's going to be there. It is kind of, it plays upon your emotions because it's scary, can play upon your spirituality, your moral your, your moral feelings, your ignorance about how the way the, the, the world really works. It's a place of emotional, spiritual, and moral danger. That's what forests are. Think of all of those fairy tales and going into that forest. Even, even more, um, more recent fairy tales, which would be the, uh, the movie by M. Shalaman, The Villagers, where they don't go into the forest, it's dark, it's scary same thing it's that it's that feeling that you don't know what's coming at you horror movies use the deep dark scary forests all the time uh, a lot of myths as well so if you have a character going to the forest what kind of emotional spiritual or moral danger are they in next is gardens gardens there's different kinds of gardens gardens with flowers would symbolize beauty and a desire for beauty also a lot of times with sex if it's a rose garden and the character picks this beautiful rose what do roses have on them they have a thorn and they get pricked which could really be foreshadowing especially if they you know take that rose and they give it to their intended and they get pricked or the intended gets pricked easy easy foreshadowing there's vegetable gardens which are a lot different than flower gardens they suggest practicality because you you know you're growing your own food, um, abundance once again your food, frugality and health because vegetables right, but they don't necessarily suggest fertility. Why is that? Vegetables don't have seeds. There's this great poem by Andrew Marvel. I think it's like 1700s, 1800s. I'm not sure, but it's called "To His Coy Mistress," and the whole poem is about a guy who tries to woo a woman into having sex with him. So one of the things he discusses is his vegetable love. Now, you're thinking, vegetable love, what is that? The vegetable love isn't referring to what he's going to do with the vegetables. No, the vegetable love is he wants to just have sex with her and have fun with her. He doesn't want to have, he doesn't want to have, to have seeds. He doesn't want to give her his seed for fertility and children. He just kind of wants some kind of fun. That's, that's how they would use vegetable love. So you want to look at what kind of garden the the character is in there's um, another story another novel where the character is very mindful and attentive of their rose garden and as the novel progresses and by the end of the novel the character has had life pretty much slam them around and the roses run wild and the weeds run wild and so we see the character really has disintegrated in all ways they they no longer care for something that meant like a whole lot to them so by saying that there was 
It was weedy and overgrown and unkempt and wild. We know that the character has kind of lost hope. The next I'd like to discuss is symbolic orchards. Kind of near, kind of like gardens, but with trees. So depending on the fruit, because fruit can be symbolic, and we're gonna be looking at that as well. Orchards are usually associated with fertility, abundance, and prosperity. Once again, it's the whole seed thing. There's a great short story by Kurt Vonnegut called The Long Walk to Forever. And it's more spoiler alert, sorry. In The Long Walk Forever, the, the main character, Newt, I think his name is Newt, Newt is, has gone AWOL because he heard that the love of his life, a woman he never professed love to, is going to marry somebody else. And so he takes her on this long walk and they kind of, and the walk itself becomes symbolic because every time they're moving forward, he feels like he's getting, he's moving forward in it, in helping her decide not to marry this other guy. And every time she stops moving, stops walking, he feels like they're not moving forward anymore and she doesn't want to um, break off the engagement or the wedding. But in the end, they end up in an orchard and he actually falls asleep in the orchard. So you know the moment he falls asleep in that orchard that everything's going to be okay because that's their, they're gonna have a family together, they're gonna have abundance, they're gonna be happy because they're in this beautiful orchard. Now, I just wanna say before I move on to the to deserts is that all of this is symbolic, but you don't have to use it this way because irony trumps everything. And you will hear me say this a million times as I go through all of these symbolic you know, things that I'm gonna be discussing because irony trumps everything or all of this can just be a plot device. They can just be in an orchard and nothing happens because you need them to be in an orchard for whatever reason. But a lot of times when you are putting your characters places, be mindful about where you're putting them because you can actually add a whole lot to the character, to the plot, uh, to the emotions. You know, are they in an orchard and a tree, you know, and, a, and, a, and an apple lands on them? Is the apple delicious or is the apple rotted? See, all of those things would give you some kind of clues about for what's going to happen. So the next thing we're gonna discuss is deserts. Now deserts hit at a character's hopes and dreams being dried up. Now I know if you live in a desert and I live in a desert, you're thinking, but there's so much life in the desert. Yes, I agree, but it's not like other places. There's less life, it seems barren. Um, so in a lot of ways, when you, if you're having, if it's not, if it's not a plot device, then you, it's a way to describe what the character is feeling emotionally. Are they feeling like there's 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 a wasteland, that there's there's nothing for them, that there's no hope, that it's all is lost because perhaps they look out onto that desert and see nothing. So these are things that you can use as well. Uh, if you've read The Alchemist, highly recommend it. A lot of it happens in in a desert. In fact, I think he has his epiphany during a sandstorm. So which is kind of very interesting. So there's all these really kind of cool things you can do symbolically, symbolically with your story and with your characters. Another one is jungles. Jungles is another kind of symbolic topography. They're dangerous and they're hot when you go there, so you tend to take off your clothes, right? Uh, there's creepy things coming down. There's creepy things coming up. There's wild animals. There's um, indigenous peoples. You don't know what's going to happen. So when we have when we have jungles expect some kind of 
spiritual soul searching or your true self coming out, maybe a little bit more, I don't want to say primitive behavior, but like your more base behaviors coming out uh, because you're worried, it's it's scary, it's hot, and, and things happen. So it's if you, I guess a great novel for explaining that would be Heart of Darkness, very old, very... It's one of those, you know, language, it's one of those things you have to study in English. I don't, it's a long, it's a long, tough read. But they equate the, being in the, the jungle with pretty much the opposite of being in a city and having manners. Uh, that's how the author saw it. Whether that's true or not, yeah, no. We know um, people living in jungles have their own culture and rules and things like that. But we tend to think of jungles as hot and sweaty and and dangerous. The next thing I'd like to discuss is caves. Caves, it's all about shadow versus reality. Think in terms of Plato's The Allegory of the Cave. Could be philosophical enlightenment. But in a lot of very real ways, caves can be frightening. Also can be a plot device. I've used plenty of caves myself uh, for plot devices. A lot of times there's no way out or there's one way out or there's a scary way out so you want to figure out why do the why are they in that cave besides if it's just a plot device is it because they're just they are only hearing echoes of themselves they don't know what's real they don't know a way to get out and not to get out physically to but get out of the space in their head whatever space that they're in that would be how you could use caves symbolically the next we're going to discuss is cliffs cliffs are super fun Cliffs, precipices, danger, 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 okay? It means that the character's judgment, their ideas, their philosophies, their insight, their truth, their morals, anything that they're thinking about is going over the edge. So they're really fun to use. And when you ever have like a, 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 a if you have a, a place for that cliff or that precipice, the character really can really only make a few a few decisions. So what's really going over the edge for them? Or who needs to go over the edge? And the great um, cliff scene would be the Cliffs of Insanity. I mean, they even gave it that name. Because in a lot of ways, when you're faced with that spiritual, moral cliff, that realization, you are either going over or you're standing your ground and you're moving on. The next thing I'd like to discuss is city setting. City setting. It's not really topography, but it's the city. So for city settings, it's usually going to be a fast-paced plot, cosmopolitan lifestyle, usually a more complex plot, and it kind of reveals the character's urban lifestyle. Now, when you contrast a city set, city, city setting with a rural setting, you can see there's a lot of movies where the city boy goes to the country or the country boy goes to the city and you have this you have this clash of different lifestyles and if you don't believe that then you're a city person then go out to this this go out to the country and see how different it is uh you'll see it's a whole different kind of mindset speed of life everything um wolf of wall street a lot of these these movies will be set in the city it's all high paced a lot of action um it, and I sometimes I wonder when I hear new authors saying I just I don't know where to set it you can I don't know where to set my romance well I would think that would be important because if you know where to set your romance that's going to tell you an awful lot about already the, the character 
um, you get how they how they grew up, what they believe. So I think setting is very important. And we're gonna discuss just setting just in another one of these videos. Uh, small town or rural. So small town or rural settings, they can be super cozy. We even have cozy mysteries. A lot of times Agatha Christie had rural settings or, or cozy village settings, but they can also be small town creepy. Think of things like Twin Peaks. Uh, it was a TV show many years ago. Stranger Things, small town setting. Uh, there's just, there's so many where it's, the small town is super creepy. So you either have cozy or kind of creepy. I've never seen something too much in, in between. Once again, all of this, irony can trump all of this. These are can be plot devices that you need to move your story forward, or they can be elements where you try to figure out, you know, how can I, how can I take this setting and I can use it to reveal the character's emotions or what they want to do with their life or perhaps what they see. I, I know for me, I, a lot of times I use different settings, different topography to reflect the character's own feelings. So are they looking out upon this vista and realizing that the whole world is theirs? Are they, are they stuck in a confined area like a cave that's, that's making them realize that they're trapped and the person next to them is scary? So you can use setting instead of actually you know, writing or telling, which is a big no-no, that they're afraid. You don't have to tell the reader that they are afraid. You show it with the setting and how that setting either comes in upon them or moves out or makes them how, how it makes them feel. So once again, I also said, uh, I'm gonna say, keep saying it, irony trumps everything. And of course, everything can be a plot device. So that's what we're learning about topography today. Um, if you like this video, give it, give it a th thumbs up, subscribe, and hit the notifications button. And I think the next video I'm going to be doing is symbolic violence. Bye-bye. Thank you.